0: when I was in the seminary one summer I took uh, I took the whole summer and drove across the country just to go see the great national parks and explore the country and it was a time in my life that I will always treasure and one of the greatest memories I have was uh, hiking down the Grand Canyon at the same time uh, Father Mike McCandless who's a priest from this parish and a good friend of mine he was uh, driving somebody's car across country and we met in the Grand Canyon And he's a big hiker, we love to hike, so we decided we were going to give it a try and hike down the Grand Canyon, despite all the signs that said, do not hike if you are not prepared. I wasn't prepared, I was just driving across the country, and I thought, well, I mean, we can hike, we hike anything, right? So we begin to hike down the Grand Canyon, and we took a a bottle of water with us and some uh, protein uh, bars and stuff like that. And as we start hiking down the Grand Canyon, there's people that are coming up from their hike. And they looked horrible. They, they were like exhausted and dirty and disheveled. And I'm like, man, what's wrong with these people? It's just a hike. So we begin to hike down the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know if you know this, but as you go down the Grand Canyon, the deeper you go, the hotter it gets. So we actually went on a night hike. We went overnight because it was a little bit cooler. But we could feel the heat. Every, every time you descended a little bit, you would feel the heat as you began to descend in the Grand Canyon. And so once night set and it began to get dark, we were talking about survival. You know, like what would happen if something happened. And um, as we're walking, all of a sudden we hear the sound of a rattlesnake right next to us. So we hear the sound, you know, the sound of it uh, rattling and we had flashlights, so we pointed flashlights over to where it was, and we didn't see it, but we saw the hole that it went into. And so we started talking about what would happen if one of us got bit by a rattlesnake. So we've we got a lot of time to talk and debate here. So we're, we're talking about w- what if one of us got bit by a rattlesnake. Now, Father Mike is big. He used to play football and um, just a huge athlete. I'm a little bit lighter And so we came to the conclusion that if I got bit by a rattlesnake, he would just put me on on his shoulders and carry me back. But if he got bit by a rattlesnake, there was no way that was happening. So I told him, I said, I'll either stay with you or I'll go and get some help. It's your call, whatever you want to do. We're having this whole debate about rattlesnakes, even though neither one of us got bit, but we're just planning it. So as we begin to go deeper and deeper into the Grand Canyon, there's water stops along the way. We'd fill up our water and and take a drink, and as we continued to go along the way, um, there were less and less water stops. And so we began to get a little bit concerned about not enough water, and we got almost towards the bottom. We were probably about a mile or two from the bottom, and we hiked I don't know how many miles already to get there. And so we, we decided, we, we, we thought, well, if, what if we get to the bottom and there's not any water? And so we began talking, and you know, both of us took the prudent route, and we decided, well, since we're out, almost out of water, and we know there's a water spot the next leg up the hill, we'll just, uh, we'll just stop, this will be the end of our journey, and we'll go back home. I was really disappointed to find out years later that there is water at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. There's a campsite, and there's like little uh, places where you can get food and water. But anyway, so we, we started walking back home and uh, back to the top, and when we got about halfway, we were both really tired, it was probably about 3, 4 in the morning, and so we decided to sleep. And so we found a couple of rocks, and we slept on rocks. And uh, I'll never forget, I woke up uh, in the morning, I opened my eyes. And there's a couple elk right in front of me, like 10 feet away. And so I just kind of pretended I wasn't, wasn't awake and watched them. And uh, so we get back. We start walking up the, the rest of the Grand Canyon. And as we're getting to the top, I am like this. Like, I'm tired. I slept on a rock all night. And uh, I'm exhausted. And I looked like one of those people that was coming up the Grand Canyon. And I understood why they look that, that way now. <clears throat> but the interesting thing is I went to the gift shop afterwards and I was looking through and there was a book, it was called Deaths of the Grand Canyon, different ways people have died in the Grand Canyon over the years. And so I, I began flipping through the book and as I'm going through it, I'm like, wow, that's, that's, I, didn't, I didn't think of that one. You know, so I'm going through and finding all these ways that people have died in the Grand Canyon. And then I found the number one cause of death in the Grand Canyon that we had experienced. Anybody know what it is? Not rattlesnakes, by the way. You don't die of a rattlesnake bite. The worst that could happen is an amputation, amputating a leg. But you will not die from a rattlesnake bite. The number one cause of death, I heard some of you say it, is dehydration is the number one cause of death. That's why the signs were all saying, be prepared, take water. never occurred to me that dehydration would be the number one cause of death in the Grand Canyon. And a lot of times it would be because people got dehydrated and there weren't enough time to, to come and pick them up. Another reason is when you get dehydrated, you get a little, a little delusional. And so there's a lot of people that un- end up falling into the Grand Canyon because of dehydration. So it speaks to us of the importance of water. That we need to stay hydrated and so we hear this in the first reading and the gospel so the first reading when Moses the people are grumbling and they say you've left us here to die and they they talk about their thirst for water so they're out in the desert and they're thirsty for water and because that is the number one way to die out in the desert Moses does something miraculous The Lord speaks to Moses and he says, go to the rock and hold the staff in which you had in the river and strike the rock and water will flow from it for the people to drink. So Moses goes to the rock, strikes it, and water begins to flow. And so God works this miracle to give his people water. In the second reading from Romans, we hear, hope does not disappoint Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. Water is a sign of the Holy Spirit, that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And then finally, we hear in the Gospel today, Jesus goes to the well, and it says something interesting. He goes to the well and says to the woman, Give me a drink. And he says this because he's thirsty. It also says that he's tired. So Jesus has been traveling this long journey, and when he gets to the well, he's thirsty and he's tired. And the woman looks at him with confusion and says, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for water? And then he and then, then says to him, you don't even have a bucket for this water. How am I supposed to give you water? And then Jesus says something really profound. He says, everyone who drinks this water from the well, or the water bottle that I had going down the Grand Canyon, will be thirsty again, meaning this water supply will end, and we're going to have to get more water. We're going to be thirsty again. And Jesus says to her, but I have water that is the wellspring of eternal life. So Jesus is telling her about this wellspring of water, of eternal life, that once we have, we will never be thirsty again. And so she says, sir, give me this drink always, or do I have to keep coming here to to draw water? And Jesus says to her, I am he who is speaking to you. I am the source of water as our catechumens and candidates come here today to to receive their first scrutiny, they're going to begin to experience this relationship with Christ, who is the water. Jesus goes on then not only to talk about water, but then to talk about food. So food's the other essential thing when you go into the Grand Canyons. You better have some food with you because you're burning a lot of calories going down and coming back up. But Jesus, again, says something very interesting. He says, My food is not a protein bar. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. So I'd like like to talk to us all about this water of eternal life, this wellspring that Jesus gives us in the Holy Spirit, and also... What true food is, and how our food is just like Jesus's food. Our food is to do the will of the one who sent us. I want you to hear that again. Our food is to do the will of the one who sent us. So, our water is the Holy Spirit, our food is to do his will. I want to talk a little bit about fasting because fasting is actually something that that not only we do during Lent, but it's one of the precepts of the church. There's five precepts of the church. The fourth is you shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence established by the church. And so fasting is ultimately a way for us to realize that we do not live on bread alone, as Jesus says. I do not live and bread alone but every word of the father so we live not by bread alone but by doing the will of the father I just want to get an idea of fasting from all of you um, so fasting technically means not eating so you can drink water but fasting means not eating and I want to see how long you have actually gone without fasting. Like, what's the longest time? So the hardest ones for us as Catholics on Good Friday and uh, Ash Wednesday is two small meals and one big meal. Now, if you go to Africa and you work, which I have with uh, children there, they would be ecstatic if they had two small meals and one meal a day. But I want you to think about the longest you've gone without fasting. So we'll start with one hour. Raise your hand if you've gone at least one hour without fasting or without eating. By the way, you're supposed to go an hour before Mass, before you receive communion. So that's a practice of our church, that we fast for one hour before Mass, so that we are hungry and we receive Jesus into our lives. How many have gone half a day without eating? Raise your hand. All right, very good. How many of you have gone one whole day without eating? Raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. How many have gone 48 hours without eating? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you gone, have gone three days without eating? Raise your hand. Four days? Have you really? Okay, five days? Six days? I think you're just holding your hand up. So Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he got to the end of his time, he was hungry. He was physically hungry. But his true food was to do the will of the Father. So Lent is a time for us that we're called to do this, that we're called to fast. And I just invite you to try to do that, to try to go a little bit longer um, each time and to see how long you can go without eating. When we go without eating, something amazing happens. So I think the most I've gone is two days. But something amazing happens is we start to realize that we can go without food. That we can actually go without food and be okay. The second thing that happens is it brings us into a heightened awareness of the presence of God because normally we're preoccupied by the next meal we're always thinking about what am i going to eat next what's the next snack but when we're fasting we don't even think about that we're completely focused on Christ and our time with Christ lent is a time for us to practice that so i would encourage you if you haven't been fasting during lent to try to do it try to try to fast for a few hours try to fast for half a day try to go a day try to go a couple days see what you can do to really sacrifice and to do that, because you'll grow dependent on the Lord. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's the purpose of fasting, to discover the will of God. He also says that the living water, the wellspring of the water, comes from him. He is the wellspring. And so he brings us that water, that gift to the Holy Spirit. So our dear candidates and catechumens, as you prepare for these final few weeks of Lent and prepare for coming into full communion with the church, I just invite you to consider that for yourselves as well, so that when you receive the Eucharist, you will be fed. You will eat his precious body. And the precious blood symbolizes the Holy Spirit that we drink, that is one with the Eucharist. This fasting, all that we do during Lent of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is to prepare ourselves to receive Jesus whose will and his strength and his food is to do the will of the Heavenly Father.